He is risen. He is risen indeed. Grace and peace to you, Newland Presbyterian Church, on this uh, glorious Easter morning. What an Easter to be alive, and yet also what a strange way that we are celebrating and remembering the risen Christ. Um, I hope that you are well. I hope that you are healthy. I continue to pray for you and to miss you. Um, You'll remember that we have been talking a little bit lately about some different tools that we have to use in the Christian life. Eugene Peterson has that great quote. Um, He says, "I, I think that we live well or badly based on the tools that we have and how well we use them. And so we have been trying to introduce and make use of some new tools that are actually very old tools in the Christian life. We've talked about solitude and silence and fasting, uh, disciplines of abstention, refraining from doing certain things so that we might be opened uh, to other possibilities. We've also been practicing and reflecting upon disciplines of engagement, uh, such things as um, worship and celebration and study. I hope that you've been able to engage in those practices throughout Lent, and perhaps a few of those will continue to stick for you and open up some, some new ways for you to um, meet and engage with and enter in to the life of Jesus, the one who comes to us. Now, another tool that I'd like to share with you this morning um, is one that you're already using, uh, well or badly. One of the great tools that we have in our lives is sort of the inner narrative by which we live, the stories that we tell ourselves that help us to process kind of the things that are happening in the world around us, help, help us to process and to understand our experiences. And, um, you know, in our house, uh, in, in recent weeks, we have been telling lots of stories. Uh, we've been doing a lot of fun things, jumping on the trampoline and taking walks and breaking up fights between kids. And we've also been telling a lot of stories. The girls have been particularly interested in stories from like my youth. They want to hear stories um, from my childhood where I had to face a, a challenge or something difficult, demonstrate some bravery or courage, and then um, kind of uh, move forward in, in life. And so uh, we've been telling stories and they've enjoyed that. But one of the beautiful things for me has it's been the stories that they are beginning to tell. And if you'll indulge me for just a moment, as we begin to think about the stories by which we live and the stories that we tell that help us process a lot of what happens in our lives, I, I want you to listen to Lily's first story. She narrated it, and I wrote it down. And so here it is. A story by Lily. Once upon a time, a mermaid was swimming in the sea, and a shark came by. 
the mermaid swam too fast and the shark did not catch her. A scuba diver was swimming too. And he almost got eaten. But the mermaid had a gun. And she shot the shark. The end. Uh, aside from that being um, really funny, uh, didn't know mermaids had guns um, or that they'd shoot sharks, but there it is. Uh, it's fascinating how even children are kind of processing some of um, the uncertainty that we face by way of story. You'll notice the story has a beginning, middle, and, and an end. Uh, she naturally, you know, we haven't taught our children to do that, at least five, but here she is telling a story with a beginning, a middle, and an end. The beginning has a mermaid in the sea going about life just as it regularly is, as um, it would be on a typical day, swimming in the sea. But then the inciting incident, a shark came by. Danger. Something's going to happen here. How will the mermaid respond? The mermaid escapes by swimming too fast. The shark couldn't catch her. And that would have been a great story, the end, right? But then... A scuba diver, scuba diver appears, and the mermaid has to decide how to respond. Will, will she demonstrate courage and bravery and come to the aid of one who is helpless before um, a dangerous foe? And sure enough, the mermaid, with whom Lily identifies very closely, um, is brave, demonstrates courage, and comes to help. The end. Stories, they help not just children, but they help us. They help the church. And so what I'd like to do is to think just a minute, what are we going to do on this Easter that is so odd, so strange, um, a sanctuary that's empty, you in your house, maybe on the couch, maybe sitting at the kitchen table, um, maybe lying in bed watching this. I mean, what, what an unusual Easter, what are we going to do? We're going to tell the story. But first, let's think about how Christians do that. Um, you know, the secular calendar begins in January and ends in December. But for Christians, the year, the yearly rhythm by which we live, begins in Advent. That time just before Christmas, the four weeks that immediately precede Christmas in which we announce the coming of Jesus. That, of course, is followed by our celebrations of Christmas, a remembrance of Jesus, uh, Emmanuel, God with us, um, God taking on flesh, entering our world, coming alongside us in the midst, not only of the beauty and the wonder and the glory of creation, but also in the midst of our suffering, of our trial, um, in the midst of plagues and famines and pandemics. Jesus enters in. God draws near to his people. We remember that. We move from Advent, the announcement, to Easter, the reality of it. We then remember the baptism of the Lord. This is kind of the annual progression of holy days in the church year. We remember that not only did Jesus come to be with us, but he entered into our baptism, a baptism of repentance, thereby joining himself to our life, to our condition, to our um, fallenness. 
The voice of the Father speaks, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. The Holy Spirit anoints Jesus. He goes into the wilderness to face the temptations of the devil to which he does not succumb. Even as the first Adam was tempted by the devil and turned away from God, Jesus, God with us, was tempted but did not sin. We move from there eventually into Lent, and we have just finished that period of fasting and preparation um, of repentance. It's a call to a life of repentance and of abstention uh, during this time. And now Easter, we celebrate uh, and remember not only that Jesus on Thursday gathered his disciples in the upper room and washed their feet, the Lord of heaven and earth, such humility and love and such tenderness. Not only did Jesus, uh, after washing them, then welcome them to the table and give them a new covenant sealed in his blood, which is poured out upon the cross, um, uh, constituted in his body, which was broken on the cross and given to us for the life of the world. Um, Not only do we remember then his trials and his suffering and his death on the cross, his nail-pierced hands and feet, the, 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 the lance that pierced his side and entered his heart such that blood and water came forth from his side. Uh, just as the first Adam's side was open and from it came a woman, a bride, so too from the side of Christ, the bridegroom, is his side pierced, and from blood, the new covenant, the, the, the uh, blood of Christ that is our cup that we, uh, that we share in his life, um, and baptism, the water that issues forth, now makes us the bride of Christ, uh, a mystical reality to which we're joined. But we also remember the derelict cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Entering into the God-forsakenness that many of us feel in our separation um, from God in a world um, full of illness and death. Uh, We remember Christ's own death, his burial in the tomb. Saturday a day when death ruled. But we, we also remember the women who ran to the tomb in the morning to anoint him because they couldn't stand to do nothing. And we remember that they found the stone that covered the entrance to the tomb rolled back and an angel sitting upon it announcing to them that Jesus was not there. Jesus was alive. Jesus had risen. We remember his appearances to the disciples. We remember Easter. From there we enter into this uh, long period of celebration um, and then of ordinary time and emerge at the end of the calendar year remembering Christ the King Sunday. Remembering that the same Jesus who was incarnate, who came down from heaven, who lived among us and died for us and rose again for us, also ascended to the right hand of the Father from which he receives the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and tongue confess that he's Lord. This same Jesus who sits at the right hand of the Father will also come again. And we look forward to that day when the King shall come and when all will be set right, when he will wipe every tear from our eyes and death shall be no more. We remember that Christ is King. 
and that we've been welcomed into his kingdom. That's the annual year. That's how Christians not only remember and rehearse and re retell the story, it's how we inhabit it. It's how we incarnate that story. It's how we take up residence in it and live it out week in and week out. What story are you living by during this strange time fraught with danger, fraught with disease, and all the anxieties and fears that come along with that? Real suffering, real grief, uh, real loss of life. What story do you live by? Is there um, a transcendent story that includes all of our stories in such a way that it doesn't dismiss the difficult and hard reality which we are now passing through, but actually infuses them with meaning and significance and especially with hope? Christians live that story throughout the year, year in, year out. Since Jesus died and rose, we've done that every single year until He comes again. We have another story, a bigger story, that includes all of our stories and fills them with hope. But there's another way to come at this, another angle. Um, N.T. Wright, an Anglican um, bishop, has uh, kind of popularized this, this way of understanding um, the biblical story as a whole. And you can immerse yourself in that story as well. Um, there are a few stages. Uh, the first stage of this story, um, if you think about this, every, every kind of uh, way of seeing the world, commonly called a worldview, um, has to have some sense of origin. Where does it come from? Meaning, morality, what's right and wrong, and destiny, where is it going? It has to have a beginning and an end and a sense of meaning and purpose in the midst of it. Um, within that story, the way the biblical uh, writers frame it for us is that God has created all things. The creation comes first. It's not an accident. It didn't just accidentally happen to come about. Um, God created it on, on purpose in love. God spoke a word and stars came into existence. Uh, God spoke a word and there was sea and land and they were teeming with life. God made things and made them good and beautiful. Uh, a testament to God's glory, creativity, and love. Um, and then he created us. Sort of the crowning moment of his creation. He, he made human beings and made them in his own image. So that in the creation there would be a creature who would... Um, reflect God's presence, would be an image of God's presence, the creator God's presence in the world. And so human beings um, have this fascinating uh, mediating role between heaven and earth. Human beings are able to reflect God's image in the world, but are also able to take, because we're creatures as well, um, the, the, the beauty and the praise of all the creation and articulate it back to God. Uh, we have a priestly role, but we also have a role of stewardship, of care, um, and of governance over the creation. And here's where the story takes an unfortunate turn. Rather than trusting that God has given us this world for good and that God desired our good, human beings 
um, were tempted and chose to take a different path, a different route, thinking that if they um, just ate of the fruit of the tree, they would be then like God and it would be even better. We, we decided to be gods ourselves. The fall. There's creation, there's fall. Uh, but what comes next is this season of covenant. Um, God, seeing our turn away from him, brings um, a response, a penalty, a, a judgment upon that. Human beings are cast out of the garden. But, not, but God does not leave them without um, his grace, without resources. God clothes them, and he promises them that one day uh, things will be set right. That they will face tribulation and trial in the world. Um, that the serpent who tempted them uh, will strike the heel of one of the women's the woman's descendants, but that that descendant shall also um, sh- crush his head with his heel. God promises this, and then chooses a man, Abraham who he promises even in his old age to make a family for Abraham that will be more numerous of the stars in the sky, the sand, grains of sand upon the sea. And that through this family, God will choose to bless the world. And so as um, time moves forward, this family spends time in slavery in Egypt, continues to grow, um, is led on a fabulous exodus journey by Moses, God's um, leader for the people. They wander in the wilderness. They take up residence in the promised land. A king comes, David, a man after God's own heart. And God makes another promise that one of David's descendants will one day sit upon the throne. Down through the ages we go. Until we move out of this time of covenant into the time of Jesus. This thing that we celebrate and walk through every single year as the church is that middle section. It's the the middle, but it's also the climax of the story. The cross, the uh, day spent in the tomb, but then the resurrection. We move into the time of the church, the sending of the Holy Spirit, um, to share in the mission of Jesus to announce God's good news, the reality of God's kingdom in the world, the fact that God has already set things right, but it is not yet complete. And so we look at creation and fall, the covenants, Jesus, this time of the church and the Holy Spirit. That's where we live right now. And then we look forward to that final day when the king returns. Sometimes when we get trapped in these cultural moments, the narratives that flood our minds come to us primarily through the television uh, or through the, the ongoing statistics um, I think somewhere over a million and a half people worldwide have now died from the coronavirus. Um, These statistics cannot possibly communicate to us um, the humanity and the beauty of the lives that have been lost. But we tell ourselves and we get trapped in this narrative, this news cycle that never ends. Um, It's helpful to remember the bigger story, the story of Jesus' life, the story of the Bible, the transcendent story that includes all of our stories in such a way that it infuses them uh, with context, um, with meaning, and with hope. And that hope brings peace. This morning, I want us to think just for a second about the story 
that comes to us in the Gospel of John. I'd like for you to listen to that. John chapter 20, verses 19 and 20. On the evening of that day, the day of the resurrection, the first day of the week, the doors being shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples became glad when they saw the Lord. Three quick things. Perhaps some Easter Sundays, it's difficult to find some connection between our experience and the experience of the disciples. You know, Easter morning did not begin in faith. It began in fear. The disciples had locked themselves in uh, this room. They had barred the doors because they were fearful of the authorities, the, the authorities who had killed their master and their teacher, and they thought they were coming from them. They had barred the doors because of large forces um, that were beyond their control, uh, that were at work in the world. They were afraid for their lives. They were determined to stay alive. Um, Easter morning didn't begin in faith. It began in fear. Easter morning began uh, in sorrow. Um, the women, the women rose early in the morning um, before the sun had come up during that time of the night that seems to weigh heaviest upon us. Uh, when we are sleepless and worried and sorrowful, uh, that, that moment in the night that uh, presses down against us just before the dawn. They rose, they gathered some supplies, and they made their way to the tomb because they, they couldn't stand to do nothing anymore. Anybody else may be feeling a little um, uh, trapped, a little claustrophobic, uh, a little stir-crazy at home. They, they needed to do something, and so they got out, they gathered these materials so that they could go to the tomb of Jesus and anoint the cold and lifeless body of, well, the man who was supposed to save them from everything. Easter morning didn't begin in faith. It began in fear, and it began in sorrow. It began behind locked doors. Maybe this morning... This Easter morning of the year 2020, you actually can identify with the disciples. Maybe you too are fearful. You have locked the doors, uh, fearful of what um, this uh, force beyond your control might do. Maybe you have locked the doors um, to grieve the loss of loved ones and um, to mourn the million and a half lives worldwide that have been the price of this terrible virus that the world had no knowledge of some months ago. All of us probably have locked our doors to one degree or another out of necessity. Um, maybe we're not fearful for our own lives, but we're fearful of, of, of sharing illness and potential death with others. Um, maybe this morning begins in fear for you a little bit, or sorrow. Um, Maybe you're grieving individuals, people that you have known who have the illness, who have died of the illness. Maybe you are grieving um, the loss in some sense of your innocence. Uh, 
Maybe you're grieving the loss of a job, like millions of others have in the last couple weeks. Maybe you're grieving the loss of uh, uh, potential retirement. The economy has taken a nosedive. Your portfolio says retirement is not happening anytime soon. Maybe you are grieving this morning um, the narrative that all the future is going to hold is progress and progress and progress and advancement and technological uh, superiority and good, 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 better, better, better. Uh, maybe that's the narrative that you've been telling yourself and now it's lost and so you don't know what story to live by anymore and you're grieving that. Maybe Easter's beginning in fear and in sorrow for you as well. And if that's the case, you have good company. Maybe it's beginning behind closed doors for you. And again, you would be in good company. It's exactly where it began for the disciples. But here's the thing. By the evening, here's the second piece. Um, the second piece of the story is that Jesus came to them. Did you see that? Suddenly, Jesus appeared in their midst. It didn't matter that the doors were locked to the Lord of heaven and earth, the Lord who had died but then rose again, the Lord who is Lord over everything that... A couple doors didn't stop God incarnate from coming, the risen Lord to come and stand in their midst, in the midst of them right where they were. It's what Jesus did on Easter morning with the disciples. It's what Jesus will do in your own homes. He will come and he will see you. He will enter in to your home. In fact, he is already there, the God who um, is everywhere and feel, fills all things by his spirit. Jesus comes. He enters into our homes. He passes behind the, the walls, the doors that we have set up, sometimes to block outside forces, but sometimes to block God, to keep God out. We prefer to have our own kingdoms, right? Our own sphere of influence, our own homes where we have dominion and where we rule. But Jesus enters in. He always draws near. He entered into the world as a babe incarnate. He entered into the midst of, of uh, our fallen experience in the waters of the Jordan baptism. He entered into our suffering and death in the last week of his life. He entered into uh, our, our, um, our death on the cross. He entered into the tomb where all of us will one day go. He entered into the place of the dead and he also rose again. And he comes. And do you know what Jesus has to say? Jesus wants to say, Peace. Peace be with you. Maybe that's the one thing you need to hear this Easter morning. The first thing that Jesus chose to say after he had accomplished all of that was peace be to you. It is his gift to you from the cross, from the empty tomb in your own home this morning. Peace be with you. Are you feeling fearful? Peace be with you, says Jesus. Are you feeling anxious? During this season of COVID-19, peace be with you, says the risen Lord. Are you sorrowful, grieving the loss of a narrative that you cannot get back anymore? A false narrative by which you were living. Um, are you grieving people, relationships? Um, peace be with you, says Jesus. Peace is the gift 
that Christ brings to you this Easter. How does it happen? You know, in Luke's account, the disciples don't quite trust it at first. They still have some doubts. Maybe you still have some doubts too. Is it just that simple? Is this all there is to, you know, um, uh, a man dies and rises again? That's not how reality works. Is peace as simple as receiving what Jesus wants to give me? Is salvation actually possible for me or for this world in the midst of the, these uh, throes of death? Is the, you have some doubts. You're in good company. The disciples had some too. Do you know how those doubts were overcome? Do you know how they moved into actual belief and faith? Do you know how they really truly received the peace that trans completely transformed their lives so that then they could act in bravery, so that they left the closed doors that they had barred and went out into the world with a, a gospel of good news, of salvation, of what had happened to their risen Lord, crucified and risen. Do you know how they moved beyond that? Jesus showed them his hands and his feet. Surely you have some wounds in your life. Maybe they come to us from our present circumstance. Maybe they are things that in this time of isolation just keep running through your mind. Your hurts, your wounds are the story that continues to knock upon the door without ceasing and will not let you ignore it. You try to keep it out. But it always finds a way in. These wounds that you bear. The stories that echo in your mind. Do you know how the disciples' wounds were healed? How they came to believe Jesus showed them His hands. He showed them His own wounds. You will never be set free. You will never know peace by rehashing, rehearsing, and endlessly obsessing with the hardships that we have faced. We receive salvation. We receive hope. We receive peace. We receive succor and mercy by looking to Jesus, by looking to His wounds. Because His wounds don't dismiss our suffering and our woundedness and our hurt and our grief. His wounds actually infuse them with meaning and significance. Because Jesus has taken on the suffering of the whole. By His wounds we are healed, says the Bible. By, he, uh, as the suffering servant of humanity, takes upon Himself all of your wounds, all of your hurts, all the things that you have suffered, and He takes them to the cross and nails them up and abolishes them. He gets rid of them. He does something with them. He takes them to the grave. He puts them to death. And then He rises again so that you can have a hope of something different, a different story, a different narrative. Maybe that's what this Easter could be for you. A time for you locked in your own room like the disciples to recognize that Jesus comes and meets you right where you are. Just as He did on that first morning He does today. Maybe it's a time when you can hear the one word Jesus wanted to bring to you after He came down from the cross and walked out of the empty tomb. The, one, the first thing He says is, Peace be to you. Maybe today can be the day you receive the peace of Christ. Remember that that's going to happen mainly and principally and mercifully by looking upon the wounds of Jesus that He took on for you. These wounded hands aren't open wounds. They are scars. They are wounds that have been healed. And it is with these hands that He tends the world.
and tend your life. Uh, beloved, it is Easter, and he is risen. He is risen indeed, and he wants you to know peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.